Today's passage is in Psalm 22, and that's on page 457 in the Bibles around the room. When I'm finished reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will reply, thanks be to God. And we say this because God gave us his word to live by and have authority over us. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. And to you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by these people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They wide, they open wide their mouths at me, like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melt- melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and glow over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you may help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the afflicted of the, afflic- the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Prosperity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to the people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and the scripture, reminding us that even through suffering and heartbreak, you're still king that we're not alone in suffering as you sacrifice yourself on the cross, that we can have eternal life with you. Lift up Pastor Gavin as he preaches your word today. Amen. Good morning, Living Stones. Good morning. Kyle's gone, which means I get to do whatever I want. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So, (laughs) oh, if only that was true. That would be horrible. 
Like, why would you even come to, like, this is why we're here. I would just say crazy things for 35 minutes that, that had no point to it. But um, my name is Gavin, and uh, I'm one of the pastors of Living Stones. I actually was a pastor here, if, if you don't know me. Um, and uh, then last year, about this time, I transitioned to Living Stones Carson City, uh, where uh, I'm a, a pastor there. And um, it is a, a joy to be with you again. Um, I've got uh, three kids, a uh, six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a, a newborn that's been alive for about three months now. Uh, an amazing wife who's been taking care of him. Um, we're celebrating our, our 10th anniversary this week, um, which, which is awesome. Yeah, you're like 10. And um, so I, I can't mess that up. So like, you can, you can keep me accountable. It's on Friday. Be like, don't forget. And I'm like, I won't. I'm terrified. Um, so... Um, and so um, I'm excited about what God is doing in this church. Um, as Greg pointed out, um, there, there seem to be a, a few people missing here today, but that's just because, you know, there's a lot of people that are camping or pretending to camp um, or like still sleeping off Thursday for some reason. And so they'll be here at the 11 o'clock service. Um, but um, God is doing amazing things uh, through our church. Um, it, it is a joy um, that uh, Pastor Andrew is sharing the gospel in the heart of Reno. It is a joy that Jim Perkins is up for examination now to potentially be one of your pastors. Uh, I would take that charge seriously because elders are to be above reproach. And so if there is anything that would be of reproach in his character, you need to speak up because it is our responsibility as pastors to answer to Jesus uh, about your spiritual vitality and how you were doing. And so I would encourage you to, to examine that. But if there's nothing, then praise God, because he's given you yet another faithful man to be a pastor of this church. And so uh, today we're in the middle of redemption psalms. And, um, you know, you see the image up on the screen and you're like, all right, like we went through creation. That was fun. We went through the fall and it was sort of like, wow, we're back in Ecclesiastes. Like just straight emo living stones again, like vintage. I love that. And, and then we're like, hey, but don't worry. We're going to talk about the redemption songs now. They're about Jesus. And then you come in and we're like, oh, my flesh is torn apart. This is, this is the worst. And you're like, it, is, this a, is this a Jesus juke? Did they trick me into coming in today? Like, why are we all of a sudden looking at this intense psalm in the middle of the redemption songs? And um, the, the reason that we're looking at this is because Psalm 22 is perhaps the perfect picture uh, to remind us about a vital truth about Christianity and about scripture and about the nature of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins and that he was buried, he really died, and then he resurrected and came back to life three days later. Uh, see, I've been following Jesus for something like 20 years, and, and there's a way for me to, to come to Scripture and to come to my faith and just grow disinterested. Just kind of bored, kind of glance over what I'm reading, uh, and, and not worry about it too much. And I imagine that there are people in here just like that, that it's summer um, like you'd like to pretend that over the summer your life is less busy, but it's not, especially if you're a parent. Um, and, and you can just grow disinterested in your, in your faith. And you begin to look at the, the Bible and what it says in the Bible as, as something that it's not. As uh, you'll pick up pieces of it that it has story in it and that it has some, some good ethics to teach and that it's a poetry book that we're going through now, which is a book of prayers, that it can be an aid to our worship. Those are all good. Uh, but that's not where God wants you to stop. 
uh, because that's not the main use of the Bible and it's not the main use of the Psalms, which Martin Luther said was a summary of the entire Old Testament. By using the Psalms as it's intended, it takes you directly to Jesus. And when we get to the Jesus of the Psalms and the Jesus of all of Scripture, it breathes new life into our devotion to Jesus and it lifts our spirits and we are filled with joy about our salvation because of how good our God is. And so here's what we're going to see today, that Jesus isn't some plot twist in the middle of the story, but he's the plot of the story, that he is the Jesus of the Psalms. And as we look at that, we're going to look at the cross of the Psalms, the resurrection of the Psalms, and the people of the Psalms, because this Psalm specifically is not about us. It is about Jesus. And that is how we are meant to understand Psalm 22, is something that is directly about Jesus and points us directly to the heart of God and what he is doing to save his people. And so we're going to be looking at that our Savior is the Jesus of the Psalms. And we're going to look at the cross of the Psalms, the resurrection of the Psalms, and the people of the Psalms. But first, I need to show you that the entire Old Testament is about Jesus. And what I just said, that Jesus isn't the plot twist in the middle of the book. He's the plot. He's the main point. And so it's impossible. It's possible to look at Scripture and get into a huge misunderstanding that the Old Testament and the New Testament are barely related. Um, and, and even our Bibles kind of show that because there's a section that says the Old Testament, the New Testament. Maybe if you're somebody that's a seeker or a skeptic, you kind of view that as the mad God and the happy God of Christianity. Like, you know, when we got to be mad, we go to the Old Testament God. And when we need to be happy, we go to the New Testament God. And that's just how it works. Uh, or that Jesus came along because the Old Testament just was a whole bunch of mistakes and Jesus came to fix the problems of the Old Testament and now we're so much better off than the people in the Old Testament, the first parts of the Bible, the first 2,000 years of redemptive history, because, ah, oh, like they, they had a screwed up system. They didn't have an understanding of who God was. We are more advanced in culture than them. We are privileged. And that's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible says that throughout human history, from the very beginning, that people have been saved and brought into relationship with God the same way that we have by grace through faith in the Savior. And the only difference between them and us is that they didn't have a clear picture of who that was going to be. And we do have a clear picture of who that's going to be. And throughout that history of humanity, ever since mankind first committed crimes against God and broke relationship with each other, clues have been dropped about who the Savior was going to be, who was going to come and redeem human history. Uh, and all of those are gathered together in the first half of the Bible that we're reading today. And, and as one pastor points out throughout the Old Testament, you're going to see three types of things that point to Jesus. You're going to see types of Jesus roaming around. So you're going to see people that, that bear resemblances to who Jesus is. So there's a story about a guy named Joseph that saves his whole family and the whole country from famine, there's echoes of Jesus in that. You're going to see uh, a, mighty, uh, a little boy fight a giant, and you're going to see echoes of Jesus in that. You're also going to see the promised Savior. There's going to be lots of promises that says the one that is coming is like this. He's going to be born of a woman. He's going to be born from this tribe of people. He's going to be born in a kingly family. He's also going to kind of be a priest. He's also going to be a suffering servant. 
And then third and most radically, we see in scripture that Jesus is God. And he shows up in the Old Testament a lot. Uh, And when you really look for it, you're like, this is kind of crazy. Because Jude, one of the apostles says, uh, Jesus is the one who saved the Israelites out of Egypt. And we see that God, in the very beginning of the story, is walking in the cool of the garden. But we know that God is spirit. So how can God be walking and also be spirit? And the answer is, we're being given a taste of who Jesus is in Genesis 3. Thousands and thousands of years before he enters onto the scene, as, as we know him in the Gospels, he is already throughout the Old Testament because he's the savior of the story. He's the plot. He's what everything is leading up to to save humanity. And so by the time that Jesus is having his earthly ministry, he can confidently say to the the Pharisees, who are a people that looked at the Bible and said, this is how we can please God. This is the morals. These are the restrictions. And he would say to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. That's in John 5, 39. That all of scripture is bearing witness about me and I'm the one that you have eternal life in. So you think that it's based off your morality or your ethics or or something else. It's not. Like if you're looking for a Bible code that will help you decipher how how to live well, there there isn't a Bible code. The the code is Jesus. Like, Like if you've been studying for years, I'm sorry to break it to you, but this whole thing is about Jesus. And when everything had transpired and Jesus had died and he was buried and he resurrected, he, he appeared to his disciples first. Uh, and he had to prove that he wasn't a ghost. So he shows up and they all freak out. And um, like if this was Northern Nevada today, like, you know, some of them were like jumping out of the windows. Some of them were like going into the closet and breaking out their shotguns and being like, zombie, we got to take care of this right now. Because like we saw Jesus die and we saw his body and that, that guy is very alive, whatever else he is. But Jesus showed, no, I, I really am me. Listen to my voice. Look at my scars. It really is me. And, and then to really cinch it up, he said, do any of you have some fish? Because being dead will really wear a guy out. And, and, he, and he eats with them and shows them and, and they add it up and they say, yeah, it sounds like him. It looks like him. Those are the scars that were inflicted on him when he was killed. Ghosts don't eat. And they came to the conclusion Jesus is alive. He came back from the dead. But at this point, it was important for Jesus to say, look, you're surprised, but you shouldn't be because this was the plan of God all along. And so this is what Jesus says in the book of Luke. It's going to be on the screen. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so it, it was clear to them that Jesus had resurrected. But by showing them and teaching them through the scriptures what had just occurred, he proved to them that it was God's plan and that he was their savior. And then throughout the book of Acts, which is like a history of the early church, those friends of Jesus, those disciples, took those same Old Testament scriptures and they would go all throughout the Mediterranean and say, look, Jesus is the savior. 
He resurrected, we saw him. But it's not enough for us to come and tell you that he came back to life. We need to show you that this has always been the plan of God. And by showing people that it was always the plan of God, they had confidence that the resurrection wasn't just a fluke, but it was something that God intended for our hope and for our joy. It's kind of like this. Uh, Have any of you ever been in a situation where you really lucked out that something happened at work and you did something on on the fly, but it was a brilliant thing to do. And afterwards, coworkers and your boss came up to you and said, oh man, did you plan that all along? And and you're like, yeah, (laughs) I super planned for this all along. or, or um, you bring, uh, you, you just, on a whim, you're, you see some roses being sold out of the, the side of a pickup truck, and, and you stop and get some roses for your wife, and, and you go in, and you give it to her, and, and she's like, oh, I had such a bad day. How did you know? Like, did you plan this? And you're like, absolutely, baby. <laughs> this wasn't done on a whim. <laughs> so, but, but most of the time, you get lucky. And you, you don't even want to take the credit because you know that, that you got lucky. And so you say, no, like, I, it just happened. So like, I, I didn't know that that problem was going to arise at work. Like, I didn't know you were having a rough day, but I'm glad I got you flowers because of that. Um, but it's when a plan comes together, when you see that there really is a plan, that you see the wisdom and the thoughtfulness of a person. And in the same way, when you see that the cross and the resurrection was planned throughout time, you see the wisdom and the intentional love of God for us. Uh, And so before we jump fully into Psalm 22 and look at how the cross and the resurrection were spoken of candidly 800, 900 years before Jesus came on the scene, I want to give you a list of six reasons why seeing that this first half of the Bible is crucial to your faith in Christ. So first, that you would know that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and there's no break between these two sections of the Bible, but they are one unit, and they point to one God. Second, that with these, two, these statements from Jesus, you would know that when you read this part of the Bible as understanding it, that this is about Jesus, you are reading the Bible like Jesus himself understood it. And therefore, how Jesus would have you understand it. Third, that it would cement Jesus as your hope because the plan of God for your salvation was planned for all time. Fourth, that that you as Christians would integrate this part of the Bible into your faith and you would read it and you would study it. Which leads to the fifth part that as you study the scripture, it would come alive because it no longer is about a disconnected people from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It is about you because it's about Jesus. And you see Jesus in the scripture and it reawakens you because some of you maybe have been Christians for a long time, years or decades, and you've never looked at the Old Testament as being about Jesus. And I would invite you to go back and say, how is this about Jesus? Every single passage. Um, to ask questions, to pray, to, to talk to your community groups, um, talk to your pastors, to figure out how all of this book that was written over thousands of years is actually pointing to Jesus. And then finally, and most importantly of all, that all of us here would recognize that the scriptures spoke so often of Jesus that it is a clue that he is who he says he is. So if you're here and you're struggling with your faith, passages like Psalm 22 should encourage you 
that the scriptures are scary accurate about events that are hundreds of years coming. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I invite you and even challenge you to be scientific about the claims of Jesus and to test the scriptures and to study what has been promised in the Old Testament and ask that if it's possible that it applies to the works of Jesus. Because if it does, I would invite you to trust in Jesus as the one who can bring you into relationship with God, who can give you eternal life, who can bring you joy, and who can give you his presence always as you live throughout um, your days on earth. That, that is the hope that I have for you who are here and not Christians, that you would be like all the, the people who weren't Christians in the a book of Acts that said, is this guy for real or is he messing with me? And they looked and said, all of the things that happened to Jesus were written about hundreds of years before they did. Maybe he's the savior. And many of them said, he is the savior. He is the king. People saw him come back to, from the dead. They witnessed it. They point out how in scriptures, this looks like Jesus. I'm going to believe in Jesus. And so with that said, let's dive into Psalm 22. I'm going to read through the first part of it real quick as an overview, and then um, we're going to look at a few things. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones, they stare and glow over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. And so, this passage is written by David. And I don't know if David knew that he was writing about Jesus, which there's indications that some Psalms are, are definitely like that. I don't know if there's something that was happening in David's life that poetically he was reaching out and using this language. Um, but this psalm so closely resembles the events of the cross that Jesus refers to it twice while he's being crucified. And, and so the best way to show you that is to show you the passages from the crucifixion that matches this psalm. So first off, and uh, we're going to be doing a little jumping around in the text. If you're like, this is, this is too fast, it's okay. Like, uh, we're just going to keep going. But in verse 16, it says, they have pierced my hands and feet. Um, this, this, 
we believe is a direct link to him being crucified, that they put nails in his hands and his feet. Then in, in the book of Matthew, there's all these scattered verses. Uh, and so starting in verse 35, it says, And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. This reflects the psalm. And in John, uh, his gospel, he actually quotes this verse and saying, this is a fulfillment of this prophecy. Then verse 39, it says, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. And uh, it says about what they were saying. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he says, I am the son of God. And so almost word for word and insult for insult matching the enemies in Psalm 22. In verse 46, Jesus says the first line of the psalm. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then, additionally to this, in the uh, Gospel of John, it points out that after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And so uh, if you go back to that slide for just a second, um, it, this is interesting because not only does he quote Psalm 22, but in Psalm 22, it talks about someone whose jaw is stuck to his mouth. And Jesus, recognizing this about a statement about himself and to fulfill everything that this Psalm said, says, I thirst. And so this, this tells us first off that Jesus keeps all of his promises. But second, it shows us again, Jesus looks at Psalm 22 and he sees it about himself. Then in the next verse, um, this is after Jesus has already died. Um, the, during, uh, this, is, this is messed up, but um, they're all crucified right before the Sabbath, which is like, a, it's a holy day of rest. And, and so they can't be killing people during God's holy day of rest because that would be working and they don't want to displease God by, um, you know, doing that. So... Um, and so Jesus is already dead though. So there's no need to break his legs to speed up the process. And so one of the soldiers pierces his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water, which points to there was a condition of the heart that, that was the cause of death for Jesus. And in Psalm 22, it says that my heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. So all of these verses are taken directly from the gospel accounts of people who saw Jesus crucified but they eerily shadow all of these other things that we've seen in Psalm 22 itself. Now, besides this, besides pointing to the cross, Psalm 22 does something even deeper and richer for our faith as we follow Jesus, which is it gives us insight into how Jesus was thinking and feeling on the cross. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting the Psalm. That's a way to direct everybody around him and us, the reader, not just to that one verse and saying, oh, Jesus feels abandoned, but to look at Psalm 22 in its entirety um, to see what is going on. It's a lot like when you quote a funny line from a movie and, and your friends who have seen the movie recognize you're talking about that whole scene. In the same way, Jesus says this verse, but he wants us to look at the entire psalm. And so we're going to have to use our imaginations, but... Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in the 1940s, said that when you read the Psalms, you have to understand that they are also the prayer book of Jesus, that he would have known all of these Psalms in his earthly life. And so 
there was a time that all of these Psalms were prayed and felt by Jesus. And so if Jesus is praying Psalm 22, let's look at Psalm 22 from the perspective of our Lord being crucified on the cross. So Psalm 22, verse one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. And so here we see something very important that that you may have heard it said, uh, maybe even by me when I preached, that Jesus feels utterly abandoned by God. And and that much is true. I, I think that the scriptures are clear that that's how Jesus feels. But even in the midst of that intensity, he has not lost his trust and his hope in God. He, he has not turned away from his God. He has not said, okay, you've forsaken me, so I'm just going to ignore you now. But he says, I trust you. I know that this is your plan. And I'm describing everything around me, but you are holy. And you are enthroned on the praise of Israel. And you answered the prayers of uh, our fathers, which is a, an interesting way. I wonder if in that moment Jesus is saying, this right here is answering the prayers of our fathers, that we would be saved and restored to God. Uh, And then he he cries out and says, save me, be with me, God. Uh, And we see here just the total trust that Jesus, even in the midst of the crucifixion, he has for his father. And my encouragement now, before we go to the resurrection, is Jesus, our great hope, trust God the Father, even in the midst of the darkest day of humanity. And and in your darkest day, I know that, that, like um, one author says that suffering is like a gas that fills the volume of the container it's in. It doesn't matter how much suffering you're having, it, it fills the container that it's in. Uh, I'm not, I don't want you to look at this psalm and say, well, if Jesus could do it, I can do it too. Um, I want you to look and say, this is hard, but the hardest thing has been done for me. This, this is suffering, but the greatest suffering has already been suffered for me. This is hard to hope in God in this moment. But there is one who has hoped in God greatly in the hardest moment of human history. And he's the one that I put my hope in because he is worthy and he is my king. So that's my encouragement I would give to you as you study the cross and the Psalms, that that would be where it takes you. But it doesn't end there. 
Because the Psalms didn't just speak about the cross, it spoke about the resurrection. And so in verse 21, abruptly, it says, save me. And then it says, you have saved me. And you're like, oh, okay then. Looks like we're good. Um, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. And so what has changed so dramatically that has changed this prayer to praise? We know that we're talking about the crucifixion and that three days later, Jesus came back from the dead. Um, But do we see that here in this psalm? Well, first, we know that another psalm, Psalm 16, um, says, You will not abandon my soul to death or let your Holy One see corruption. And later, the friends of Jesus, when they were going out into the world and saying, this is about Jesus and he came back from the dead, that he uh, re-said this as, you will not let your Holy One see decay. And indicated, yes, Jesus had to die, but God did not let him stay in the ground so long that his body began to decay. Then this, in verse 29, it says that there is one who will bow down to you, even the one, just the one who cannot keep himself alive. Jesus is faithful. He is our faithful suffering servant. And he knows he can't keep himself alive or else we're all lost. We're all doomed to to not know the love of God. We're all doomed to never know whether we're solid before God because we aren't. That's not a chasm we can cross. But it also says that God is the one who rescued him. And, and if Jesus died on the cross, then there's a moment of triumph here in verses 21 through 29 that he has been rescued. And that rescue looks like his resurrection, that his Holy One will not see decay and that Jesus is alive again. And this does good things for us because the cross is scandalous, but it's good. It's scandalous because it is good. Somebody being executed is not something we look back at and say, that is a beautiful thing that that person who's innocent was gruesomely executed. But Jesus was, and that's good because it was for our sins and for our crimes and for our relational disconnect. And the resurrection sealed that and approved that he is the savior and that he is God. And, and so through this, we were, as part of our worship today, we, we meditated on you are enthroned on the praises of your people, God. But in Psalm 22, it says in 25, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. And then in verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And so Jesus is the reason that we know that we, God is enthroned on, our, uh, on the praises of his people because Jesus is the leader of his people. And in Hebrews, this verse is quoted as, one day Jesus is gonna stand before God the Father. 
with all of his people and he's going to praise God for what God the Father has done. And he is going to lead the people in God's praises. And that is why this psalm should fill us with joy. Because this psalm isn't about why we have to suffer, although we are going to suffer in this life, and, and oftentimes it's part of God's plan. It's not about what we have to do to prove ourselves before God. It's about a Savior who suffered for us and then rose from the dead, and we are confident that that is part of the plan of God. But you know what's interesting is the psalm doesn't even end there. In verse 30 it says, posterity shall serve him. Posterity means it can mean one of two things. It can mean direct descendants, but it can also mean all future generations. So you can have an event and say, all posterity will do this. So all generations after this will do this. So posterity will serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. You see, the the scriptures and the Psalms don't just tell about the cross and the resurrection about Jesus, but it says that part of that plan of God is that that would then be communicated to the ends of the earth. Uh, and you see this in the same statement that we saw earlier, that when Jesus said, look at the scriptures and how they're all about me, he said, this is what all the scriptures uh, communicate. And this is the, the next and final slide. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so the, the scriptures tell of a time that we look back at the mighty works of Jesus and, and we are in awe and we are filled with gladness because we have a savior and, and he died for us. He rose from the dead. He is God. And now we go out, not talking about the things that we can do to please God, but talking about the ways that God has saved us because we are filled with so much joy and hope in what he has done that we cannot help but hold it in. And so every single time you're at work or you're at the park like playing with your kids and you start a conversation with someone and the topic of Jesus comes up and you talk about the hope that you have in him, the things that he's done in your life, and the things that he has done for all time for all who believe in him, you are being part of God's plan to share the gospel with the entire world. And you have been made a partner with the gospel and with Jesus Christ because you are his people. You are the people of the Psalms, the people that Jesus has loved, the people that Jesus has died for, and the people that Jesus has rose from the dead to be our king and our leader. Let's pray. God, you are worthy. You truly are enthroned on the praises of your people. And through that, Lord God, we recognize that as we worship you in the, in the coming songs and through taking communion, that you are the one who leads us, that you are the one who is seated at the right hand of God, and that as we worship you and as all of our brothers and sisters throughout the world worship you, you are communicating that and you are singing with us and you are, are saying, behold my people. God, help us to rejoice that when we sing, we're not just singing on a Sunday doing something arbitrary, but we are celebrating the great salvation of our God that is revealed in Psalm 22 and all of the Psalms and all of scripture. Be with us now as we worship you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.